Welcome to Dealcast, the weekly M&A podcast presented to you by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham. In today's episode, we're looking at some of the themes discussed at the Tulane Law School's recent M&A conference. Joining me is Hang Ching Chen, a reporter for Activist Monitor, and Jay Antenen, legal editor for Merger Market in New York. So hi, both of you. Thank you very much for joining me. We're going to be looking at the Tulane Law School M&A conference. First of all, why is the, the conference so important? Why is it significant? Well, this is the 33rd year of the Corporate Law Institute conference at Tulane. And since 1988, it's basically become the premier event every year on the calendar for corporate attorneys who practice on M&A, IPOs, and then also appear in Delaware for um, litigation around those issues. So normally in most years, everyone goes down to New Orleans for a day of um, conferences and a long night of parties and dinners, and then early the next morning again on Friday. That This year that didn't happen, but there's a lot of the same speakers who are able to talk about what they saw going on in M&A and IPOs and um, shareholder activism. I was just going to add that, you know, it was Tulane for a lot of um, the attendees this year and probably last year was likely the last in-person or one of the last in-person conferences they attended since it was sometime in March as well, just before uh, kind of all the economic lockdowns took place. So, you know, this year feels like a, you know, anniversary, a strange anniversary of sorts coming back to attend via Zoom. Yeah, and possibly not as much fun. (laughs) What were the key trends discussed at the conference this year? Well, my main takeaway, I think, from the event is just how busy the M&A market is right now in terms of regular announced transactions and also deals involving um, SPACs, which are going public at record rates and then trying to buy companies and take them um, public. One of the attorneys on one of the panels mentioned that the market's kind of reached a scary level of efficiency right now, and it's kind of almost become crazy how many deals that people are able to push through. And this is kind of counterintuitive since a year ago when the pandemic started, everyone probably thought that M&A was going to really slow down and that merger agreements and stuff were going to be an impediment to reaching deals. But instead, everyone sort of figured out how to work in the current environment, mainly on video, and then sort of switched to executing as many transactions as possible. And Han Ching, what, what did you see? What did you hear about? Right. So it's been um, really interesting. I mean, we touched on the, uh, you know, resurgence of M&A. And I think a lot of advisors noted that that is going to be a driver of shareholder activism as well going forward. And we've already seen it be a driver and vice versa, um, shareholder activism being catalyst for, you know, pushing M&A forward as well. Um, and yeah, there's been also, So because of the pandemic, you know, especially a focus from both corporates and investors on environmental issues, on employee issues that, uh, you know, have been building over the years, but really the pandemic has brought into very stark relief, I think. 
So looking at a bit more detail there, a big focus on EESG, so that's Employee Environmental and Social Governance, so not just ESG anymore. You've got companies very keen to highlight how responsible they are in light of the pandemic and Black Lives Matter. What were the main issues raised at the Tulane Conference in relation to ESG or EESG? Right. So it's definitely been, you know, it's not new this year or even last year. It's something that investors have been focusing on increasingly over the years. But as uh, you you said, there's been some issues, whether it's social movements or otherwise, really uh, bringing this to the forefront. And Donna Anderson uh, with T. Rowe Price uh, was saying at the conference, you know, companies have been highlighting, you know, employee benefits, whether it's paid sick leave or mental health services or keeping in touch with workers once, you know, maybe they've been laid off and trying to get them back as soon as possible. Um, you know, this is in contrast to what happened following the financial crisis of, you know, 2008, 2009. Um, you know, and it's really from her point of view, a sign of the times and the fact that, you know, fundamentally, Companies are emphasizing like treating employees well just as a matter of remaining competitive and as a matter of public perception as well. Yeah, I think another issue that changed this year that was on a lot of people's minds is we have a new presidential administration with the election of um, Biden last fall. So that has brought with the Democratic administration, there's a lot more expectation that ESG is going to be an issue they will focus on through the SEC and other rulemaking. So that's something that companies are expecting more scrutiny of transactions and then also their public reporting of um, ESG issues. Hang Ching, you reported that some of the focus on ESG, some are, are finding it a little overwhelming. Why is that? Right. I mean, it, this is just uh, sometimes, you know, it, it's as simple as a matter of resource constraints. So, you know, one advisor was mentioning on a panel that when she's working with some smaller companies, maybe the, the in-house counsel she is working with is wearing multiple hats, whether it's, you know, HR or other related matters. And, you know, they just don't have uh, the resources to dedicate to maybe a full-on glossy annual sustainability report that has become expected of some larger companies. Um, at the same time, you know, this can be from like an execution point of view of an advantage for smaller companies when it comes to identifying and then addressing uh, ESG challenges because, say, you don't have, uh, you know, five different people who are in charge of, uh, you know, different siloed workflows, uh, you know, deciding what the sustainability-related approach should be to a problem. Maybe the CEO is in charge of executing across basically um, all of these, you know, different operational issues, including any sustainability related challenges. So that's one issue. And the other issue is just there are so many um, ESG related disclosure frameworks right now that um, there's a lot of confusion uh, in the market that's still being sorted out as to, you know, should we standardize these? To what extent should we standardize these? You know, how 
you know, across different industries, how are companies going to be comparable as they start to come out with their own, uh, you know, ESG-related disclosures? Um, you know, when Tiro Price was speaking on this, they noted that uh, the standards developed by SASB, uh, the Sustainability Accountability, uh, the S- Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. Um, those standards are pretty promising just in terms of their um, customizability uh, for each company. Uh, they're able to kind of um, take that as a guideline and uh they have industry specific guidelines. So you can sort of pick and choose the items that you need to disclose that are most relevant to your company and your business. Yeah, I I would agree with that, that the definition, even just the basic definition of ESG and what that means is kind of in flux. And then the reporting standards also, because there's push in Europe to develop one sort of set of standards. And the question is what will happen in the US that came up on the panel with SEC official John Coates, who was expected to talk sort of about what the SEC under the um, new Biden administration is expected to propose on ESG. And there's a big question whether the government should impose sort of a standard on all companies or industries should reach sort of their own um, conclusion. My impression of his talk was he kind of seemed to want it potentially in the middle, but I've seen some other reports that the SEC might come up with um, ESG standards. Yeah, and I guess it could potentially be really expensive for companies if they pursue one set of standards and realise a few years later they're compliant with the wrong one that's been adopted by the wider industry. Looking more broadly at 2021 and activism, it is the year this year seen as a year of potential opportunities for activists. There seems to be a lot of moving parts in the corporate space with companies taking stock of the pandemic 12 months on from when it hit the Western world. And, and Jay, you said that most companies just got used to living with it. But there's also the huge stimulus package in the US and then the vaccine rollout program. Right. So I think it's definitely, you know, from the advisors we've spoken to earlier this year and also as reflected in, um, you know, the advisors who spoke at this conference, definitely seen as a year where we're going to see a lot of activism and we are seeing a lot of activism, you know, during this ongoing proxy season right now. Um, and, you know, this obviously last year we, we had a dip in the activity because of, you know, just the amount of market volatility, but, you know, now we're seeing this resurgence of M&A and, Everyone seems to think that with the favorable deal-making environment, you know, seemingly set to continue, that's going to lend itself to more activist campaigns, especially with the, um, you know, economy reopening and just generally markets on a more short, sure footing. And it's been interesting because, um, you know, advisors have also mentioned potentially some increase in uh, hostile campaigns. We've also seen just publicly, you know, some activists being bold about Bempetrage, things that we typically see in one like dislocated markets for hostile bids uh, on the rise and also uh, for the Bempetrage and just, uh, you know, rising markets, you know, making activists and investors in general more keen on getting better value for, um, you know, for their shares. Yeah, I think another point that came up is um, activists pushing companies to use their cash. So a year ago, companies stockpiled huge amounts of cash by issuing records amount of um, 
debt to protect their balance sheets in case the worst of the pandemic um, meant they had to operate for months with lower um, revenue and earnings. But now they, a lot of them have lots of surplus cash. So activists are starting to approach and asking companies how they plan to use it, either to return it to shareholders, invest, or um, make acquisitions. To, so they're trying to identify and push for more efficient use of capital. I think another theme is activism combining with ESG. So activists can approach companies and raise ESG issues, even if the activist isn't really a fund that potentially truly cares about um, the environment. They see that as a way to win over maybe other institutional shareholders who do and highlight problems with a um, target. Right. And an interesting example of that in, you know, that's going on in the current proxy season uh, is Engine Number One's campaign at uh, ExxonMobil, where they're pushing for the company to, uh, you know, add some board members who have some experience in renewable energy. And just generally, there's been a lot of investor pressure for the company to, uh, you know, really focus on creating a more a sustainable business plan within a changing, uh, you know, energy industry. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to see that this come to the fore. And I think, you know, some advisors that we've spoken to have highlighted that this could be a test, especially in, um, uh, for institutional shareholders like BlackRock, Vanguard, folks that have been very vocal about the, their focus on ESG, um, a test in a specific contested election, what, how they will actually vote their shares when they have a more or less black and white choice to make or whether they will, you know, choose to engage on their own terms or, uh, you know, try to figure out their own way to influence uh, uh, the management, which obviously as major shareholders, they have uh, the avenues to do. So it sounds like it'll be a theme that's carrying on the ESG or EESG theme will be carrying on through the activist space quite a lot this year. Moving on from activism, the SPAC boom was also discussed at the conference. What issues were raised in relation to that? Yeah, so um, originally when the conference agenda was announced a few weeks ago, the um, acting director of the Division of Corporate Finance at the SEC, John Coates, who was appointed following Biden, um, coming president in January, he was going to talk about ESG and how the SEC is thinking about that. But instead, he pivoted and started his um, talk focused on the SPAC boom and how that is impacting the SEC officials who have to review SPAC filings when they first file to go public through their IPO. And then again, when the SPAC announces a merger and files that's um, proxy filing for that. And it sounded like the SEC staff is kind of basically almost overwhelmed with the amount of SPAC filings that are coming in. Um, they require a lot of review by the SEC, and some of them, according to John, aren't being filed in the best way or the fully correct manner. And this he attributed in part to because the law firms have so much business right now, they're having to pull in staffers and maybe focus on regular litigation issues in um, law, but not SEC filings to work on the SPAC. So that's creating accidental errors, which is a concern for him. He's also almost lecturing or pleading with all the attorneys to make sure they're following all the proper procedures, because right now 
people are calling in, in, I guess, SEC officials who shouldn't be contacted pleading to get their SPAC filings processed faster, which then creates further backlog. So I think that just kind of shows how much activity there is in the market right now for um, SPACs and then also IPOs. Well, it sounds like it might be a good time to be an ECM or M&A lawyer in New York at the moment. So that's great. Thank you very much, Hang Ching and Jay. Great. Thank you. Thank you. That was Hang Ching Chen, a reporter for Activist Monitor, and Jay Antenen, legal editor for Merger Market, both joining me from New York. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of DealCast, presented by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or look out for your Merger Market news alert. For more information, check out our show notes. Join us next week for another episode.